15, 1 through 6. In, this, in addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes. Please follow along as I read. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And he said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. This is the word of God. Well, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, we've just begun a project we're calling the Daily Bread Project. Remember, Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, and the devil said to him, turn these stones into bread, because he had physical hunger. He had been fasting for 40 days. But Jesus said to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thus indicating that our biggest needs are not only physical, but they're spiritual. And just as we need physical bread in order to be physically healthy, we need spiritual bread in order to be spiritually healthy, alive, and growing. And so we have this magnificent book which God has preserved for us. We call it the Bible, the book of books. It's the holy written word of God. Jesus was the living word of God. This is the written word of God. It's been collected for us throughout history so that we could know something about the heart of God, something about why we have been made, what life is about, what's the matter with the world, and what God did to fix what is the matter with the world. And I jotted a, I wanted this, this next week, since we're just beginning this reading project, and what we're doing, just in case you're unfamiliar, is we're following a certain reading plan that takes you through both the Old Testament and the New Testament concurrently. So if you, if you get tired of the Old Testament, you're also reading the New Testament. In one year's time, you will finish both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as I said earlier, if that seems like a little bit ambitious for you, just do what you can and enjoy what you can. What I will try to do, whether through Sunday sermons occasionally or also through biweekly emails that I will send to you, is I will try to be something of a tour guide to help you not get lost along the way, because this is a, a very complicated book uh, that, took, that was written by more than 40 authors over the course of a, a really long period of time. And you're going to take my picture, look natural, look like I don't know that you're there. All right, good. I, Okay, yeah. No, Jesus is the one who raises people. No, I won't do that. You know, when the New York Times came to do, you're not from the New York Times, are you? They did a story about us. Did you guys know this? Some of you guys know this about three years ago. We were brand new. There was literally, I think, about 18 of us here. And we had to literally scrape. Cece, you were probably, were you here that? Yes, I thought you were probably here. Uh, We had to scrape the ice off the tables when we met. We were planning to go indoors. It was 
December 31st or January 1st or January 2nd, you know, right after Christmas. And uh, they came and did a picture. And so uh, they had a picture of me going something like this. You know, my arm was out like that. So you got to have a hellfire cowboy preacher. But uh, uh, anyway, so thank you, Kevin. I hope that shows up somewhere. I don't, I'm not embarrassed to see it. In any case, where was I? We're telling this beautiful story about what God has been doing in the world. And do what you can. Follow along as you can. Jump in where you can. So every so often, I will give to you some guidance along the way because, as I said, this can be a kind of a complicated story. It's an ancient story that took several thousand years to write and talks about a long period of human history. And it, uh, more than 40 different writers put it together. But it's got this one overarching theme. And I mentioned to it to you last week, and you can see in your message notes if you want to look at it, that the Bible is essentially an epic drama, a four-act play. And it's all about God's intention for the world. Not just God's intention for you, but, how, but God's intention for the whole world and how you fit into what God is doing in the, the whole world. And it's all a story about creation. Act one, beautiful creation. That God created this world to be a place of harmony and of beauty. Uh, a, a, pra- a place where there was harmony between us and God. Between us within ourselves. Between us and others around us. And between us and this world. We are placed in here as the image of God in this temple of the world. So that we could be his co-creators in this world. To take the raw materials of this world. And to bring it together in a way that beautiful and honoring to the God who made us. That was God's plan for creation. And that story is told in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. You read it this past week. But something went dreadfully wrong in Act 2, and we still feel the effects of it, and that is the brokenness of creation, that this world which God created was created to be a free world of love. And so we were given the opportunity to choose to obey and live in line with the God who loved us and made us, or to rebel against that God. And so we, our first parents, did that that day. We rebelled against God, and we had an idea that somehow we could run this world better than God could. Isn't it crazy that anybody would think that? But they're not the only ones who are crazy because we think that too, don't we? How many times do I know what God wants me to do and I decide I'm going to do something altogether different? Well, that's what our first parents did exactly. So there's a brokenness in this world. And so the harmony that existed between us and God was fractured, not because of God's choice, but because of ours. The harmony that existed between us within ourselves was broken and we're, we're insecure. We, we don't have a sense of self-esteem because we've rejected the one who made us and loved us and created us. And so we have to find our own self-esteem somehow. So there's dissonance within our own hearts. We all feel it, don't we? And there's also dissonance, disharmony between us and other people where instead of cooperating together and working together, we manipulate, we create culture in order to take advantage of others, to make sure that we're better than others by putting other people down, all these things. Culture which was designed to bring glory to God instead brings dissonance and anger and frustration between people. We see it in our marriages. We see it in our families. We see it in our community. We see it in our, everywhere. It's because of the problem in our hearts. Disharmony between us and God, between us and ourselves, between us and one another, and then also consequently between us and this world, this beautiful world which God made for us to cultivate, to build culture in, to, to use its raw materials in a way to bless the whole world. We use it in a way to abuse the world. We use it as a, a trash heap to throw away our refuse. 
or as a gold mine to simply take everything out of it that we can and leave it. So we have got this broken world. We learned about this this past week. I hope your heart was broken as mine was, as you saw how it was that these first parents, Adam and Eve, could be so blind to see that somehow, how could the God who made them not be willing to give them everything they needed? And they broke that, and I saw my own self in that story. And then I also saw Cain and Abel and the horrific story of murder that occurred. This graphic example of how it is that the relationship that has been broken within, between us and God, us and ourselves, leads to brokenness between us and other people. So the second human being born on this earth was murdered by his own brother. What a tragic and telling story that was. And it doesn't get any better as we see Cain going off and building a city. And out of that coming, this whole culture by where Lamech t- finds his own way of, of saying, I don't care who God is. I've got my own ideas. And then we've got, ultimately, we've got the Tower of Babel making a name for ourselves, humanity, trying to prove its worth by building things to prove its own worth. This is what the culture is like. This is the brokenness of our culture. So we have the memory, the whisper of beauty. That's why we see beauty. We see love. We see relationships. We have that memory there, but it's been distorted. It's been dissonant as if I were, and you will notice this, if I were to play the guitar, even right now, it's going to be out of tune because of being in the sun here. The strings are out of tune, and we can't get a good tune out of our lives and out of our world. Dissonance. And into this tragic mess, God breaks into it. And he breaks into it by coming to a man named Abraham. And God begins this pattern of rescue where God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He comes in and he makes right what is wrong. And this is that whole story, a 2,000-year-long story, which we have begun this past week as you began to look at the story of Abraham and his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and we will follow that story along, and it's all a story about God's rescuing grace. Ultimately, the climax of it happening in the person of Jesus who gave his life, who took upon himself the suffering of our world so that he could bring us back to God and bring us to act number four, which we are still in the middle of today, that act for of renewal, that God wants to bring renewal to our relationship with Him, renewal to our relationship with, within, our renewal to our relationship with others, and renewal to our relationship with this world, so that in the last two chapters of the Bible, we have the final consummation of what Jesus has done. When there's a new heaven and a new earth, and God lives and walks among us, and we have brand new remade bodies, not disembodied souls and spirits, but rather re-embodied persons, men and women who've been united with God by trusting in Jesus, that ultimate act of renewal when this creation project, which got derailed in Genesis 1 and 2, gets back on track ultimately in in Revelation 21 and 22. That's the consummation of God's renewal. The inauguration of God's renewal was when Jesus broke through death that day on Easter Sunday morning. We look forward to that. And in between inauguration and consummation is implementation. When we are called to do our best to bring about the kind of world God imagines by helping people to be made right with God, right with themselves, right with others, and right with this world, taking care of this world the way God intended for it. It's a beautiful story. That's the true story. Does it make you excited to hear it? It's the true story. You got to hear that story. It's a more important story than the primaries. 
It really is. It's a, more, it's a more true story than anything else you can see. As much as I love golf and, oh, I'm looking forward to baseball. Any of you looking forward to baseball? Oh, oh my goodness. A couple days. They're starting to show up, right? I love these things. And, uh, you know, that game there was a week or so ago, the football game, you know, where people uh, like gladiators have very shortened lives in order to entertain the masses who buy lots of beer to pay for it, Right? Now, I'm not trying to dump on football too much. I did play it in high school. Um, I'm glad I wasn't good enough to play it longer than high school. Uh, uh, and those guys are so big and strong. And I'm going to start a campaign against Thursday evening football someday uh, because of the concussion issue. But anyway, that's another story. All right. In any case, these things, although they have their place, they find themselves in the ultimate place, whether it's politics, whether it's sports, whether it's entertainment, whether it's personal gratification, whether it's climbing the next ladder, whether it's building a great corporation. All these things have their place. But if they're meant to fill that empty space deep within our hearts that came because of human beings who thought they could run this world in their lives better than God could, it will never fill that place. Whatever you bow down to as a first important, that's the thing that you worship, and it will control your life. But Jesus says, whom therefore the Son sets free shall be free indeed. Jesus is the one master who sets us free to become the beautiful human being that God created us to be. That's that beautiful story. I remind you of it because you're going to be walking through the woods of this book and you're going to get sort of sidetracked along the way. You're going to wonder, what in the world is this? Always think about it as that great story. We're beginning that story of rescue or uh, of rescue when Jesus, when God is involved in rescuing people. And so if you were reading this past week and you will be reading this week about this great, great father of the faith, his name was Abraham. And he is the great example used even in the New Testament of a man of faith. You can read about him in even Romans chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 11, this great man of faith, this man who heard that God was about to do something and was willing to put his own life on the line to follow God in his life. Abraham, the man of faith. He's the first in this long story of God's rescue. And because you're looking at it this week, and you will read about his, his son and his grandson and his great-grandson during the course of the next two weeks, I want you to think about Abraham and to see something that's going on in Abraham's life, which actually is a, a, something that happens in many cases in our lives as we follow God. And so I want you to see what's happening in Abraham's life. I want you to see it reiterated in some of his children's lives. And I'd like you to see it ultimately as it relates to your own life. And it is about this. It is the fact that Abraham was given a dream. Abraham was given a vision. And there is a pattern that we see in Abraham's life, replicated consistently throughout the Scripture that I think would be interesting and helpful for you to be paying attention to. And those three things are these. The birth of a dream, the death of a dream, the rebirth of a dream. In Abraham, he's called Abram in this part of the story. Later, he's called Abraham. I'm going to refer to him as Abraham just to keep it consistent for me. Abraham was given this dream, this vision, this ideal about what the future was supposed to be. He had been called by God. It said, uh, it, actually, his story begins in Genesis chapter 12. I hope you bring your 
own Bibles to church uh, when you come. By the way, in terms of reading the Bible, whether you read it electronically or in your, uh, in your, uh, on your own Bible, it's so valuable uh, to use the same Bible all the time and find a Bible that you can read well. And if you've got a study Bible, don't get lost in the study notes. Read the Scripture, all right? Read the Scripture. Do that first. Don't read all, Does that make sense? Just let the story. There's a place for the study Bible, but it's not for the place to use when you're trying to get the panoramic view of the Scripture, right? Just read through it. I have one that's just got text and, and, uh, and, and margins and cross-references. That's all I have for, for my Bible. In fact, the Bible that I'm reading out of is actually a Bible with no verses. I've got a Bible with no verses. You can get one if you want. It's just got chapters, and it's just fun to read it like a regular book. If you want one of those, let me know. I'll let you know how to get one. In any case, we see that Abraham in chapter 12 had this happen to him. The Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse so that in you all families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and he was 75 years old. Some of you are that old. You're ancient. He was 75 years old. I'm teasing, of course, uh, I hope. Um, when God did something in his life that he never imagined and expected. So let's see Abraham as one of what we might call, from dream to reality, the people. We've seen the pattern, first of all, the birth of a dream, the death of a dream, the rebirth of a dream. But I want you to see the, the people involved. And let's see, for example, first of all, the story of Abraham. Abraham, the birth of a vision. God came to him in the 12th chapter. He said, I will make you the father of a great nation, and in you all families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham went. And then in chapter 15, where Susan read for you, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he said, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. Oh, my goodness, we see that God had given to Abraham the promise of being a great nation, but God had forgotten something really important. It's hard to father a great nation unless you have at least what? One child. So when Abraham left at 75 years of age, he and Sarah, his wife, had never had any children, and he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how God would make it happen, but he went and he obeyed, and he did what God had him to do. But we see the vision, the vision was born in his life, but the death of the dream happened to him as well, in that Abraham had no children. He was childless. You see, in Abraham's case, how could he fulfill that vision, that dream, unless he, God gave to him a child? And often in our lives, God comes to us, he gives us a vision of what to do, and it only seems like it's going to be impossible to get it done. That's how it felt for Abraham that day. And so we see in this chapter, Abraham wanted God to maybe make it his servant, Eleazar, to be his heir. But God said, no, it's, it's going to be someone from you. Later, as you may remember, as you've read this story, Abraham has a child by his servant girl, by his wife's servant girl. Her name was Hagar. This is Abraham trying to get God's visions done in his own strength, in his own power, and it didn't work out for well, did it? Ultimately, then God said, no, it's going to be through your wife, Sarah. And though she is now 90 years old and he is 99, God miraculously gives to them a baby. Any of you guys looking forward to having a baby? You know, I'm really excited to have a grandbaby. I'd be a little bit less uh, enthusiastic about having a brand new little baby. Although, 
Well, that would be kind of nice too, I think, right? Well, he had a baby at this late point in his life. God, uh, God rebirthed that vision in uh, Abraham's life. You see, the vision came to him. It seemed impossible. He made mistakes, and ultimately God, in his miraculous way, gave to him what he could not achieve for himself, and he gave to him this baby. But that's not the only time it happens. It also happens in the, in the story of Jacob. Jacob. It's all the way through the Bible. What was Jacob? Jacob was, uh, was, his, was, uh, was Abraham's grandson. And Jacob had been given a vision. In fact, his mother had been given a vision that somehow God would use him to bless all people, that he would be the one through whom God would bring about this covenant blessing to the rest of the world. Well, the problem with that was that Jacob was the second-born child, not the first-born child, and the blessing and the promises typically went towards the first-born child. You're going to read that story this next week, and you'll find out that Jacob thought he would take matters into his own hands in order to get the blessing that he knew God was going to have for him. And so he created lots of problems for himself and for others by being the deceiver, the deceitful man that he was. He was alienated from his family. He went off, and it looked to him like he would never accomplish what God had for him. But what did God do? But ultimately, God brought him a wife. God brought him uh, a family. God brought him ultimately 12 sons. These 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. You see this idea? Jacob knew God had something special for him. Jacob made mistakes trying to make that happen on his own, but God blessed him anyway. Birth of vision, death of vision, rebirth of vision. One of Jacob's sons was a guy named Joseph. This would have been Abraham's great-grandson. A guy named Joseph, he was the, excuse me, he was the 12th, the 11th son, I guess we'd say. He was the 11th in a row born to Jacob, his father. But he was the son born to his favorite wife, if you know that story. You'll be reading about it here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and, uh, and you know that, that Joseph had this vision that God was going to use him to achieve greatness in some way. Do you know this story? You're going to read about it this week. Joseph thinks that has this dream about his family bowing down to him. And he has the audacity and the brashness to tell his big brothers about this. They don't like that story very well. So they begin to really hate Joseph because of his great ideas, this great vision he has for the future, and also because of his father's favoritism shown towards him. So ultimately, what happens to jo Joseph? This birth of a vision turns into what? A death of a vision. What does he do? He gets thrown into slavery. And he, wherever Joseph goes, he's faithful. He, he finds himself uh, being faithful in Egypt now where he's thrown into slavery. And then he gets thrown into prison for no fault of his own. He finds himself being faithful. His vision died several times. It died in the pit when he's thrown away by his brothers. It died in the prison when he was uh, uh, falsely accused by a woman. And there he is in the dungeon still doing his job. The dream had died. But what did God do? But God miraculously brought Joseph in the court of Pharaoh so that ultimately Joseph could provide salvation for the people of Egypt, but also, as you may see in the next couple of weeks, for his own family as they came. And he brought uh, salvation to them by providing food for them. And we see that there was a rebirth of the vision and a restoration to his family. And in fact, not only his brothers, but also his father, bowed down before him that day because he was the one who had brought salvation to them. Oh, this story of vision, 
death of vision, rebirth of vision. It's all the way through the Bible. We even see it in the people of Israel themselves. These people had the vision of a great promised land that somehow God would give them that land. But what was the death of their vision? They found themselves in slavery in Egypt without land. You know, and they were tempted to give up and to cash in their chips. And sure enough, Moses brought them out. But even while Moses was bringing them to the promised land, they kept saying, could we just go back? God had brought them miraculously out of Egypt, and they still had a hard time accepting that. Vision, death of vision, rebirth of vision. And then, of course, how can you forget about Moses himself? Moses himself, the great deliverer of God's people. Remember, he was raised in the palace of Egypt, and he had this vision that God would use him to deliver his people. But what did Moses do? He took that vision in his own hands, and he decided that he would bring justice to the people on his own. And what did he do? But he killed an Egyptian man who had his... Was abusing one of his brethren, and as a result, what happened to him? Do you know the story? You'll read about it in the next couple of weeks. You will see that Moses was exiled out of Egypt, and there he is living as a sheep herder in Midian, thinking there's no more vision for him. The vision had died. But what did God do? You'll see it in the, we get in the book of Exodus just in about three weeks from now. You see that God showed up to this man disenchanted, this guy who thought his, 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 uh, his usefulness to God was over, and God reignited that vision, the vision that he had given to him as a young man that had been taken from him through his own disobedience and his own selfishness, now was given, being given back to him as he goes back into Egypt, humbled and yet honored to be used by God. He's called the meekest man in all of history. Moses was the one who brought those people out. You see this story about how God keeps working even through the difficult times of our lives, how often God gives us vision only to see it apparently go away. Why do we see all this? Well, this is really personal to all of us, isn't it? I mean, here I am standing on the stage. Let me tell you my story a little bit. I'm standing on the stage in front of a church building when, for me, the idea of actually having helped to start a church, is a dream which began when I was 28 years old. 28 years old. And I said to the church in Indiana where I was pastoring, I think God's called me to plant a church. I had gone to graduate school out there. I thought I'd go back to Arizona. Now, just so you know, 28 years, I was 28, that was more than five years ago. (laughs) In fact, the honest truth of it, that was exactly half a lifetime ago. For me. I just had my 56th birthday. Is my math right? All right. So I'm a young seminary student. I'm pastoring this church. I'm ready to go out and change the world. I believe God's called me to plant a church, right? And I even tell the church people, I think I'm going to go plant a church. I want to go back to Arizona, to my, my hometown, my own home area. And so I hook up with this organization. I go to a lot of testing and training. My wife and I go and spend a week. I have my church family praying for me while I'm going away. And when I get at the end of that training, those people sit down with me at the end of that week and they say in words that are still painful for me to think about, we don't think God wants you to start a church. I had gone there to gain wisdom, but I really wasn't looking for anything but the answer. I was, look, you you ever do that? You ask for advice, but you only want one answer? Oh, my goodness. That was the first devastating moment in my life. My life until that time had been pretty much smooth sailing, you know, I was going to be this great preacher. I was going to have this great family. I was going to be on the cover of, no, I'm just, not really, but you know what I'm saying. You were 28 once, weren't you? You know, and there I sit with my wife, 
And I have to listen to those words. And I go back to my home church in Indiana. And I have to say to them, I was looking for guidance. I got guidance. It wasn't the guidance I was expecting. Death of vision. Do you see why these stories of Abraham and Jacob and Israel and Moses and, yes, even Peter mean so much to me? Because these are people who had a vision from God, but who for either through the fault of their own or through the circumstances they couldn't control, it seemed as though that vision was buried deep in the ground where, in fact, it was only then someday to be birthed out new life out of death. That's the resurrection principle. It's there. You're seeing it in the book of Genesis. You're seeing how that death leads to life. So that Jesus himself said about himself in John 12, 24, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it bears no fruit. But if it die, it bears fruit 50 and 100 fold. I'm not a farmer, but I know what happens. You put a seed in the ground. What happens to the seed? It dies. <laughs> But what comes out of the seed? New birth. And so often in our lives, we want to grow, we want to achieve great things for God, but we've still got the husk of our selfish seed self around us. And we need some breaking down, don't we? We need some breaking down. And so this is why people like Abraham or Jacob or Joseph, or Moses, or the people of Israel, or Peter have to go through a time of death in order to receive new life. I could tell you and would love to tell you more because that was only the first time my dream died. It happened another time. Same dream, same result, same uh, sense of self-despondency and despair. So that about four or five years ago, I sat there wondering if I would ever, ever have the chance to talk to people like I am today. 28 is the year to talk. When you're 28, that's the time to start a church, right? You got energy, you got the future ahead of you. Not when you're 52. You know, when you've got people and resources and energy and all those things, that's when you do those things. Just like Moses in Egypt, he had the power when he was there in Egypt, right? He had the opportunity, he had the resources, but it wasn't God's time. God wanted to use him when he had nothing to contribute except a shepherd's staff. And God said, what? I want that too. Throw that rod on the ground. <laughs> Lord, he might say, what are you going to do with the rod? What happens when you throw the rod on the ground? It becomes a what? A snake, remember? And now the rod of Moses, and God says, pick it up. <laughs> you imagine behind the scenes what this must have felt like. Moses, in obedience now, picks up the snake. You ever picked up a snake? Not me. A dead one. Picked up the snake, and now it became a rod again, but it wasn't Moses' rod anymore, was it? It was the rod of God. It was the rod which God used to bring the plagues on Egypt. It was the rod which God used to open up the sea, the Red Sea. It was the rod which God used to deliver His people. 
Moses was merely the instrument. When Moses had no power, when he was like a seed planted in the ground, that was the time when God could bring new life to him. A lot of you are going through tough times as well. You think it's all over. God has something good for you. God will never give up for you, on you. And the reason you can know that it's true is not just because of these Old Testament stories, because of the most fantastic story of all, which is this, that when God came on this earth, God had a dream. God had a vision. God wanted to turn upside right this upside-down world, and He came to us in the person of Jesus. But what happened to Him? What happened to Him in that vision? He was put on a cross. He died on a tree, buried in a tomb. Why? Because in order for new life to have emerged for this world, death had to happen. Jesus died for you and for me. So as you read this Old Testament story, you're going to see a lot of crazy stuff and rules you don't understand, actions, these primitive peoples, but don't lose sight of this great story about what God has done. God delights in using the refuse of this world, the Bible says, in order to bring new life to this world. So here you are, and perhaps this is you, and you need to say, you know, that four-part act of the Bible, I need to say those words. I am the beautiful creation of God. I was made because God loved me. I am also part of the broken creation of God, and I can't fix myself. I have been rescued by Jesus' death and resurrection. I will trust in Him, and He will renew me as His Spirit leads me. Some of us need to go into the ground and die a little bit. Some of us need to come out from the ground and live a little bit. I don't know where you are in that story, but God wants you to live. God says to our hearts, live, live. Even death leads to life. Let's have prayers we close. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful and thankful that there is this story of life. That yes, you have a grand vision for us. Like Moses, we think we're called to deliver like Abraham, we're called to lead a great nation. You know, like Peter, we're called to be a great disciple. And yet, for many of us, the vision has died. And we wonder whether there is hope. Help us to know there is hope. Help us to learn what we need to learn in the depths so that we can live like we need to live in the heights thank you that you do not give up on us. And thank you for that story of Jesus whose death brought new life to us. Help us to place our faith and trust in him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.